Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. How you all doing? We're going to continue something that I started two weeks ago um, and I entitled this message, Lostology. Now, we started this last, or two weeks ago, last week was Mother's Day. Cass shared a great word, which uh, I really appreciate. And I had the privilege at night sharing my mum's most favourite, or memorable, sorry, mantras. And we had a lot of fun in and around looking at some of those things. But two weeks ago, I started this series called Lostology. And the first thing you're going to say to me is, Lostology is not a real word, to which I would respond, you are absolutely 100% correct. But then I would also uh, spin that thought on its head and say this, that biology wasn't a word once upon a time and geology was not a word once upon a time, but we used it often enough and it found its way into the dictionary. Would that be fair to say? In actual fact, there are a lot of words today that have found their way into the dictionary that did not exist five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago. Selfie is a word that did not exist 10 years ago. But now if you open up your dictionary, turn to the letter S, you'll find selfie in there. And so I I propose that we grab a hold of this word, lostology, and uh, use it so much that it becomes part of our language and it finds its way possibly into the dictionary. And if not into the dictionary, into our hearts. And we use this word to change our thinking when it comes to reaching those that are far from God, those what the Bible calls are lost. Lostology is simply the idea of reaching lost people through looking at naturally lost things. That's what Jesus was brilliant at. Jesus was a brilliant lostologist. He would take things of nature. He would take things of the circumstance and surroundings and He would use those natural things to demonstrate spiritual truth. And He was absolutely brilliant at this, at every topic, on every subject, in particular when it came to reaching the lost. And so two weeks ago, uh, I opened opened up with this particular passage of Scripture found in the book of Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And if Jesus came to do something and we are of the business that Jesus is of, we should be going after the things that He went after and He went after things that were lost. Lost is not only a biblical word, but it's a word that has incredible, significant meaning. And we looked at that two weeks ago. Just recapping very quickly, uh, the first one was this, that nothing can be lost without first being owned. The fact that there are lost people means that there is an owner, that there is a creator, that there is a beginning. There is an end to every person's life. And we have the privileged church of introducing people, precious people to the creator and author of their life. And His name is Jesus. And that is why we are here on planet Earth, on mission, on purpose. We are not here just to breathe air, eat food, have it pass through our body and die. We are here on mission to reach 
and to seek and to save those that are lost. As a local church, we are committed to connecting precious people to God, to His church and to their purpose. And the fact that this community is full of people that do not know Christ yet says that our job is not yet done. If you're not dead, you're not done. We have a job to do. Isn't that good news? And so you have an owner Every person has an owner. Secondly, the value of the lost is seen in the effort of the search. There's always an effort when you value something. There are a lot of people putting in a lot of effort trying to make more money. And we know that money is of a high importance and a high value in their life because they are searching after it. They are going after it hard. They are working long hours. They're working seven days a week and they are going after what they value most. And so if we value the lost, that will be seen in the uh, significance of our search. And the third thing we touched on was the effectiveness in finding the lost is seen in the wisdom of our approach. And that's the thought I want to pick up on again this particular week. I want to elaborate further on something that I touched on last two weeks ago, sorry, in part one. Because Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 says, the fruit, of the, sorry, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who wins souls is wise. Everyone say wise. You see, it's gonna take more than just prayer to win the lost. It's gonna take more than just Bible study to win the lost. It's going to take more than just desire. It's going to take wisdom. It's going to take an understanding. It's going to take a, a, a new, fresh approach. Winning people takes wisdom. We've got to put ourselves in their shoes. We've got to get in their shoes, not in their face. You with me? We've got to get inside of their heads. We need to understand what they are thinking. Jesus was brilliant at this. More often than not, you'd hear Jesus uh, say He'd respond to them based upon what they were thinking. They hadn't even spoken, but He was so aware of what they were thinking, He was able to address them where they were at. It's going to take wisdom if we are to win the lost. We do not live in a one-size-fits-all world. And that's why when we looked at the three stories found in the chapter 15 of the book of Luke, which we're going to look at again today, we realised there was one theme, lostness, but there were three different contexts and as a result, three different responses. One theme, three different contexts and three different responses. If you're taking notes this morning, and I trust you are, my subtitle to today's message would simply be The Context Determines Our Response. Everyone say context. The context determines our response. Let me uh, explain it this way. When dealing with a text or when receiving a text such as this one up on the screen right now, um, we would need to know the context to that text as to how we respond. Would that be fair to say? I mean, just to receive, are you coming? Without knowing the uh, person that sent it, it could get very embarrassing. 
I may say, sure, babe, but if that person on the other end is not my wife and it's Chris, it's gonna get really weird. You've gotta know the sender or the author of the text to bring understanding and wisdom. You've also got to have the previous text in order to know what the uh, text that you're looking at means. That text only finds its meaning in context with other messages. Does that make sense? And so if I respond to, uh, are you coming? If I just say no, because I don't know the previous text, I could be missing out on something. Uh, Are you coming? Uh, No. I may have just lost a million dollars because the previous text could have been coming around my house right now. I've got a million dollars to give away. Are you coming? Say, no. Miss out. At the same time, if I don't know the context of that text, I might just say yes randomly and I could get into a very embarrassing situation because the previous text could be, are you coming to the hen's night? Are you coming? Yeah, I'll be there. And then it gets weird because any guy that runs at such a hen's night often ends up taking off his clothes. This is one of those kind of things. And that just gets weird. Are you with me? And so the previous text to that particular text and understanding the person that sent it, that is what we call the context. In order to be able to respond appropriately, we would need to know the context. There's not enough in that particular text for me to know how to respond. I can't afford to have my favourite text. Oh, are you coming? I love that text. That's my favourite text. I can't build a life on a favourite text. I need context in order for the text to make sense. Context, according to the dictionary, means the circumstances that form the setting for an event, statement or idea and in terms of which it can be fully understood and assessed. In other words, a text without a context is nothing more than a pretext. This is what we learn in Bible college. Some of you are saying, what's a pretext? Let's look at it in the dictionary. A pretext, according to the dictionary, means a reason given in justification of a course of action that is not the real reason. In actual fact, the origin of that word came about through the Latin in the 16th century, and it means outward display. And it's interesting to me that Jesus actually said to His disciples, stop judging by mere appearances but stop and make a right judgment. In other words, stop judging by outward displays. But make a right judgment. Jesus at that moment was saying, get the context, otherwise you've only got a pretext. And it is our responsibility when interpreting the Scriptures or interpreting our text that we receive on the phone, we need to understand the context. This is true at every level. Is this making sense? You need to understand this in order to set up where I'm going with my message today. Jesus said, I will build my church. That doesn't mean uh, that you have to sit back and do nothing. And there's a big part of the body of Christ that believe that. They just sit back and do nothing because of a favourite text. But Jesus said, uh, go and make disciples. In other words, what Jesus is saying, if you understand the context, you'll see that God has a part to play. And we have a part to play. It is not our job to build the church. Only Jesus will build His church. Our job is to make disciples. 
that that's our role, that's our privilege, that's our right and our responsibility. And so when it comes to understanding a text message on the phone or the text in Scripture, we need to understand the context. Getting back to Luke chapter 15 for a moment, because that's where we're heading this morning. When it comes to understanding the three stories that Jesus told in the book of Luke chapter 15, we need to understand the context. Because when you understand the context, you'll understand the responses of those stories. Because in Luke chapter 15, there are three stories all involving the same theme, lostness. But they are speaking into three different contexts. And as a result, there are three different responses. And I want, to follow, I want you to follow with me this morning as we look at that. But here's the great thing about today's message. It's going to be useful to us at every level. This message today is not going to just help us have wisdom when it comes to reaching the lost. I trust that we can overlay this as a pattern for us to follow when it comes to parenting our children. Because the same principle applies. I, I trust it will be a pattern for us when doing life in church with other believers because it's the same principle. I pray it's a pattern that we can follow when dealing with people in our workplace environment because it's the same principle. So we're going to learn a lesson that will hopefully make us wiser in reaching the lost, but at the same time, hopefully it will help us make us better parents, better believers one to another so that there is not discord, but that there is unity. And also hopefully will make us better employees and employers. Because if we run off with our favourite verses and our favourite thoughts, we are going to get ourselves into trouble. Do you know that? And even Batman knows this. I had a bit of fun putting some memes together. Some of you old ones won't even know what a meme is. But um, maybe some of you young ones would have seen this one. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, says that. And then at that moment, Batman slaps him in the face and says, you've taken it out of context. Because we do that all the time. We, we grab these favourite verses. Man, this would go so much better at youth, I'm sure. They're all the, everyone's like, what's a meme? Why is Batman up there? I don't get it. I, love it. I had fun tonight. Last night I had fun. I need you to know that. So anyway, and then, then, then there's another one up here, which may help you understand what I'm saying. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So you have a favourite Bible verse, do you? But is it in context? Mm. And even the little black African kids uh, understand this to be true. You mean to tell me that you have a favourite Bible verse, but you don't know the context? And even Buzz Lightyear knows this to be true. And that's what the verse really means in its right context. And look at Woody's face. Woody looks like a lot of Christians I know. Oh. You know, I am the head and not the tail. We'll only get you so far. You know. Because there's, there's a very real broken world in which we live in and you can't just throw that verse at everything. You know, Christians and, and, and churches get labelled with being very restrictive when it comes to church life. And, 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 you know, we have to wear some of that because it does get a bit stuffy from time to time. But often they would say it in the context of the Bible says that Jesus came to set us free. 
And so we, we interpret the freedom that we have in Christ so they have no rules and no regulations. And that's to take a, con- a, a text out of context. Because whenever you uh, look at a Scripture, you've got to hold it in tension with other Scriptures. You've got to hold truth in tension with other truth. Because Jesus said it's the truth that will set you free, not a truth. A truth can be very uh, damaging. When you just hold on to one truth and don't hold it in tension with another truth, it can be quite dangerous. And so when I look at the fact that we are free in Christ, you have to weigh up that tension with what Paul says. And he says, I am a prisoner of Christ. And yet it was Paul who wrote that we have a freedom in Christ. Which one is true? They are both true. And we need to know the context in order to understand what that means for us. And if you look at the Old Testament, for example, there were people that were servants in certain families or slaves. And after working many, many years, they could be set free. But if that slave in their newfound freedom said, I don't want to go anywhere. I've grown attached to this family. I've grown attached to this property. I've grown attached to the environment. I don't want to go anywhere. Then he would be placed against a pole and his ear would be pierced and he would be a bond servant. In other words, with the freedom that he had been given, he chose with that freedom to become a slave again to serve that family all the days of his life. And that's what uh, uh, we are as Christ followers. We are free in Christ and with our freedom, we choose to place ourselves under His Lordship uh, as prisoners, as it were, to use Paul's language, to serve Him all the days of our lives. So are we free or are we prisoners? We are both. And when you understand the context, it makes sense. When we hold on to our favourite verses, we get confused. And then we start denominations because I don't like that verse. I'm going over to this verse. We call them denominations, but hey. And we need to understand because we need to grow up and we need to mature. Am I talking to the right people this morning? So hopefully this will help us in every area of life. If you are a pastor, this will help you. If you're a Christian, this will help you. If you're a parent, this will help you. If you're a a child, this will help you. If you've got a job, this will help you. And I think I've covered everybody. This will help you even if you're an atheist, non-believer. This is gonna help you, these principles today. And so I want to look at Luke chapter 15 and look at the different contexts. The first context we're going to be looking at is that you need to, number one, search for the lost in love. And I end all three points today with in love, because that's the Christian message, for God so loved the world. Whatever we do, it has to be in love. And so there is a, there's a time, according to Luke 15, where we have to search for the lost in love. Let's look at it, Luke chapter 15, verse 3 to 7, reading from the NLT. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbours saying, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there will be joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. The context here is of a sheep that's got his head down, tail up, and he's just wandered off. 
He's not disobedient. He's not willful. He's not running away. He hasn't got any problems with the shepherd or the other sheep. He's just got his head down, tail up. And those people should not be judged, should not be disciplined, should not be chastised, should not be ostracised, but should be searched for. Because all of us are guilty of having our head down. How many of you have been in conversation with your husband, wife, kids, friend, you're in the car, you're chatting away to realise, how did I get here? Somewhere you've missed the turn. And at that moment, that just needs to be laughed off. Car needs to be turned around. That would be the correct response for that context because nobody's done anything wrong. You're just having a great time. But if the husband or the wife or the children or the friend would lambaste the driver of the car for being so stupid and reckless because they don't understand the context, they've missed the appropriate response. How many of you out there have ever been busy with your head down, tail up, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a place you just didn't know how you quite got there? How many of you have been going to uh, the kitchen to end up, you know, putting things away that, you know, you just, what, what am I doing here? Yeah, come on, am I talking to the right people? This is what Jesus is saying. He used sheep as His example because of who He is speaking to. Are there any shepherds out there? No. But has anyone ever walked to the fridge and thought, what am I doing? Uh, what? Have any of you walked in the, gone to the fridge and thought, why are my keys in the fridge? <laughs> it's not because you're a wicked, sinful, deceitful person. Things just happen. We all lose our way from time to time. And we need gently nudging back. And it's at that moment, we need people going after us and helping us. Because when you're lost, you're lost. By definition, lost means I don't know where I am. So it's not, you know, when, you know, when the sheep realises I'm lost, it's not like, oh, I better just go back. It's not like Hansel and Gretel. It's not like he's you know, dropping little lollies behind him or anything like that. It's, it's just, is that the right story? Yeah. yeah, remember that? The birds came and ate the thing. Anyway, the bread. It wasn't M&M's, it was bread. <laughs> Whenever we're going somewhere with our kids and I'm not sure where we're going, I said, Mitch, you got any M&M's? We start dropping M&M's, just, which is not good because Mitch is just behind there eating them. But anyway, but it needs a search doesn't need judgment, doesn't need correction. When reaching lost people, the church has to be more understanding in regards to this. You know, it never ceases to amaze me as I look back over the years, the different things we've done to reach the lost. And, and we don't have opposition from those that we're trying to reach, but more often than not, we get opposition from religious people. One particular event that we have done and will continue to do, it's called The Bloke. It's a men's event. And really, it's an event that we put on to meet men halfway. We, we, we try to place ourselves in their shoes and say, what do men want to do? How are we going to reach men? Do they want to sing hymns? No. Can I just say this? Most men's ministry are just women's ministry in disguise. I'll be honest. I've been to enough men's ministry. Yep, this is, the women would love this. trying to get men into deeper, meaningful conversations. There's no alcohol. I mean, like the women love that, but I mean, just like, it's not how men are wired. 
And I'll never forget sitting around a table uh, just dreaming. What, what do men like? What do men want? What are men into? What can we do as a church without selling our soul to the devil? But where can we meet them halfway? And we said, what, what do men like? And we said, beer. Yeah, they like beer. That's a given. And they like sport, particularly violent sport. And so can we make an event that involves some alcohol, some, not lots, but some alcohol, and have a measure of violence in a sporting environment? And we got really excited about that. That was one of the greatest elders' meetings I've ever been involved in. It's just amazing. Just like, now we're talking. And so we, we kind of you know, started thinking about, you know, you do the risk assessment. And we said, what's the worst thing that can happen? You've got people that uh, are not Christians, that uh, are involved in an environment where there's alcohol so they could get drunk. And um, they... Um, are involved in uh, a sporting event that has a bit of violence because we chose the sport of boxing. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and we came up with the conclusion that there could be, worst case scenario, an all-in drunken brawl. <laughs> and we sat there for about a fraction of a second and thought, I can deal with that. <laughs> I actually thought, you imagine if that actually happened, God forbid, but if it did, the stories that we would tell. It's far better than he's sitting in my seat. I always sit there. I don't like that song. It's too loud. That's all we've got if we don't go for this. Seriously, it's too cold in here. It's too hot in here. Music's too soft. The music's too loud. I'm like, what? So that man, give me an all-in drunken brawl Sounds more fun than dealing with Mrs. Bucketmouth and that's my seat. Or Mr. Big Buck, so I paid for that chair. Like, come on. Because that's, that's the moment where no judgment, no deeper meaningful conversations, just reaching out. We don't judge their lifestyle. We don't judge what they do. We don't judge their language. I love the fact that this church has probably had more swear words said in it than most churches I know. One, because you're here and God is doing a work on your life. It's the work of sanctification. But there's nothing better when you get a room full of men that are just totally unchurched. They've had a couple of beers and feel a little bit relaxed. And have enjoyed the environment, enjoyed the friends, enjoyed the mateship to open up the door to the auditorium to see cars and a boxing ring and the lights and welcome to the boat, you know, that kind of stuff. And they're like, beeping, heck, I didn't know this was a beeping church. I can't beep and believe it. <laughs> Religious people get horrified. But you know what? I feel like the smile of the Father. I feel like God's smiling when religious people are getting mad. That's what I feel. So we're not going to quieten down. We're not going to settle down. We actually want to take it up a notch. We're thinking of the next one, maybe MMA. I don't know what kind of crowd we will get. That would just be, that'd be rough. I'll be wearing my bulletproof vest for that one. 
And I'll never forget, one of, one of the blokes I spoke at, I, I shared about three things that beer has taught me about life. And it's just like the whole, like the oxygen in the room got sucked up. <laughs> See, I know at that moment, the guys that we were trying to reach um, weren't interested in what, um, you know, the red horse in Revelation really means. But when a pastor of a church gets up, that's put on an event that is meeting them halfway, uh, gets up and says, I'm going to tell you some things that B has taught me about life. They're like, I don't know what the heck is going on, but I'm interested. And that's the key to reaching lost people. Get them interested. Most people aren't interested. In your boring, grey, dull, colourless lives. We call that Christianity. Seriously, some of you, if you're honest, you had more fun as a sinner than you do as a Christian. You used to do things. You used to go places. Now you just go home. <laughs> Seriously. The word blessed, the blessed life, the word blessed means to be envied. Our lifestyle is meant to be so envious. We went to have a lifestyle. People say, oh, man, I, I would, I would love, man, I don't, know, I don't know how he does. I'd love to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, he's always happy to be able to do it. Not like many Christians who look like they've been baptized in lemon juice and all the rest of it. <laughs> Their face looks like the back end of a cat, yeah. <laughs> Every time I say that, I feel like I have to explain myself. Because people say, what do you mean by the back of a cat? What I mean is if you pick up a cat by the tail and look, you'll see this. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. And us searching for lost sheep with a face like that, it's not going to cut it. The sheep's going to see you and run. <laughs> Just... So Jesus in telling this story saying, don't be judgmental. Don't try and fix them up. Just go find them. No questions asked, almost. Just get them. There you are. I've been looking for you. Not you've got to have a haircut. Got to tidy up your language. No, just come. Come as you are. Come as you are. Come. And you know what? If that was the only story Jesus told, that'd be awesome. Because we wouldn't have to disciple anybody. Yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. Just put on bloke events and just come. Now what? I don't know. Let's have another beer. I don't know. Just whoa. <laughs> but it's not the only story he told. He, he addresses another issue when it comes to the lost. The first one is you've got to search for the lost in love. And love would look like not judging them, condemning them, but accepting them. Just accepting them. Just accepting them. The second one we see is Jesus addressing something different. And there's a time you've got to confront the lost in love. And that's the story of the lost coin found in Luke 15 verse 8. It says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she? This is her response. She lights a lamp and she sweeps the entire house and searches carefully until she finds it. She turns on the light. Light represents revelation. 
Eventually, when people are living in darkness, you've got to bring light. You can't just have bloke events and say, what's, what's different about you? Oh, I don't know. We like boxing. <laughs> you know that? There's a time where you have to bring revelation and you have to confront their darkness. There's a time where you have to, light has to confront the darkness. P.S. In love. It's got to be in love. And, and this is the opportunity where we go from just being friends to helping our friends be found. By taking our relationship to another level. It's a risk. They might say, oh, back off, mate. I, no, I don't, I don't want any of that Jesus stuff. I, I just want the beer and the burgers and the boxing. And if that's where they want to leave it, that's cool. Keep coming. But we have a responsibility to help people go from beer burgers to boxing to something deeper. And so in love, we confront with revelation, with truth. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, we, we speak the truth in love. Because eventually Jesus has to get the credit for what it is that is different about our lives. And if we don't do that, we are taking the glory for ourselves. What's so different? I don't know, I'm just awesome. But no, no, you're different. You're not like anyone else I've met. I know, I'm amazing. <laughs> Seriously, without bringing some context, we're just taking the glory for ourselves. Yeah. And so when you're dealing with lost people, we have to bring revelation, have to bring them into the light, and that's going to confront their way of life. It's going to confront their way of thinking. It's going to confront everything they've understood to that moment. But if done in love... It can be done well. And this is true again at every level with our children. With, with raising children, the same thing applies. You know, we, we love our kids unconditionally. We do. Don't we? Some of us. Do I hear an amen? Some of you need more time to think about it. Should we bow our heads, close our eyes, think? We love our kids unconditionally. But it doesn't mean they can do whatever they want to do. And, and so we have to Confront them lovingly with not our thoughts, not with our anger, not with our frustration, but with the light, with revelation, with truth. Yeah? Otherwise, they're not going to grow. They're not going to mature. We see the same in work life, problems at work, same thing applies. What about in church life? Same thing applies. The same thing applies. Speaking the truth in love. See, when we speak the truth in love to our kids, it's really easy to bring the challenge. It's really easy to bring the discipline because we can send them to their room and they don't have the influence from outside. But when you're dealing with Christians, you bring a little bit of heat, a little bit of truth, a little bit of light, a little bit of revelation... You don't have a room to send them to. They can just go to another church. Yeah. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he said how he knows of a pastor who was under discipline in a denomination, and so he changed denominations and was in ministry immediately. And we wonder why the body of Christ is not maturing. Yeah. Because we're running away from anything that contradicts what we want to happen in our life. 
And so there's this time where we just search for the lost in love, no questions asked. We'll even put beer on for you. Just, just come. There's another time we're going to have to turn on the light. We're going to have to shine some light onto the situation. Um, and we're going to have to confront your way of living because we love you. I mean, if someone just keeps sticking their hand on the stove and wondering why they've got a sore hand and it's always scarred and it's always burnt, eventually you're going to say, hey, look, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not your Lord or Master. But we bring light, um, hot burns, light, don't do that confrontation. Seriously, for your own good. Why are we not allowed to do that as Christians? Why does it be all loving? Because... To not address that is to not to love that person. Now, they might not listen to you. That's where the third story comes in. But it's our responsibility to at least address in love because we want to help. This is not a no questions asked. This is actually, now we're going we're gonna to actually have a conversation now. But it's in love. Different story. Different context. Different response. You following me? Which brings me now to my third point, and that is there comes a time when you've got to let the lost go in love. Even Jesus said, you know, uh, if a city doesn't welcome you, wipe the dust off your feet and move on. What does letting the lost go in love mean? It means don't chase them. It means don't interfere. See, the reason this father could actually let his son go is because he was secure enough in and of himself. See, I think sometimes we don't do what we know we ought to do because of how it reflects on us. And at that moment, we are no longer putting ourselves in their shoes. We are living life very much in our shoes. See, this uh, story of the lost son in verse 11 says, Jesus told him another story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. An inheritance was gained after someone died. Effectively, this young son, in saying, I want my inheritance before you die, is to say to the father, I wish you were dead. It's probably even stronger than that. It's to say, you are dead to me. Now, I don't care what dad you are. I don't care how secure you are. I don't care how many years you've been a Christian. That's got to hurt. How many of you out there would like your son or daughter to say to you, you're dead to me? And that's effectively what it's saying. But the response is amazing. He actually says, the father divided up his inheritance, his estate, and gave half to his son. What, what kind of response is that? Shouldn't you stop him from going? No. Because he placed himself in his son's shoes and saw where his son was coming from. His son didn't want to be there. He didn't want the rules. He didn't want the regulations. He didn't want the discipline. He didn't want the boundaries. He wanted to be his own man. 
Had the father been living in his shoes, he would have said, but what are people going to say? And I think there's a lot of us living in our own shoes, worried about what people will think of us, that we never actually understand what's really going on in other people's world. I told the story more recently about my dad and how he responded to me when I got caught shoplifting. I was 12 years of age, I got caught shoplifting, and my dad's first response was this, Tony, you should have been quicker. It's like, wow, advocating uh, shoplifting. No. The context was this, I was broken. I was in tears. I totally owned my mistake. I wish I'd never done it. I felt terrible, and I didn't need discipline. I needed reassurance. I can promise you this, church. If, my, if the context was different and I came in saying, Dad, I got caught, got caught shoplifting. Big deal. It's a packet of bubble gum. They're not going to miss it. I don't think Dad would have said, hey, you're going to be quicker. I don't know if I would have seen the next day. Can you see how context is so important? If we don't have the right context, we won't respond correctly. And if we're worried about how it reflects on me, my dad was able to say, you should have been quicker because he knew what I needed. He crossed over and put himself in my shoes and said he needs to see and feel and understand and know firsthand unconditional love. But Keith, don't you realise that reflects poorly on you as a dad? Your son's a shoplifter. So what? But Keith, your sons aren't perfect. Yeah, but I knew that a long time ago, he would say. (laughs) So you can read all the books about how to raise children. But if you are insecure in and of yourself, you'll never get the right read and the right context because you're always viewing it in your shoes and from your point of view. Instead of what does this child need? This father in this story was able to say, go. Go. I'm not going to interfere. I'm not going to stop you. I'm not even going to rescue you. See, I think one of the problems in church life, it happens in family too, but certainly probably more in church life than anywhere else, is that when someone makes a silly decision... And God's willing to let them go. Remember, God is willing to let people go to hell. It's not his desire, but he will let you go there. He doesn't send anyone there. He lets them go there because that's where they've chose to be, a place where God is not. And he's having to let them go, hoping that it gets so bad for them that they'll come to their senses and come home, which is what we see in this story. The trouble is, in church life, we have people, when they're in their pig pens, Other well-meaning Christians go alongside and say, here, buddy, do you want some food? And we're feeding them. And every time we're feeding them, we're keeping them where God does not want them to be. God never wanted this man to be in the pig pen. He wanted him to come to his senses so he could come home. We have well-meaning Christians keep feeding them, keeping them in the pig pen. That is not going to help. Stop rescuing. Whether it's fellow believers, whether it's your own flesh and blood, You've got to let them go. I know it's painful. I know it hurts. I know. I see it on a regular basis. I know. 
Don't, don't you think there's many times I just want to get off what God is calling me to do to go rescue people? Yes. But we're wasting time. Because every time we go after a lost son, we're wasting our time on the ones that could be rescued like the lost sheep. This message is about freeing us up. That we might be more effective and have more time. If we can get the heart of what I'm sharing today, we will be far more effective and we'll have far more time. But we make some people our pet projects, particularly when it comes to family. And we try 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 and it gets worse and worse and worse. Can I say in love? Sometimes you've got to let people go. It means don't rescue. Don't interfere. Don't chase. But on the other side, it also means this. Don't gossip about them. In the waiting, we don't see the father saying, can you believe that son of mine? After all I've done for him. Stop that. Just let him go in love and get on with what God has called you to do. People don't have to know your side. See, leadership is not a fair fight. People can whinge about leadership, but as leaders, we can't respond because we know it's not the right thing to do. So we have to stay silent. And it's the very silence we saw Jesus doing when Pilate's saying, are you this, are you that? And he's just silent. But can I say, Christianity shouldn't be a fair fight. People should be able to accuse us and we just have to, you know what? So it's not about gossiping. It's not about people getting people on your side. It's not about developing a bad attitude after all I've done for them. Can you see how this works with the lost? Can you see how it works in your family with kids? Can you see how it works in the church? Can you see how it could work in the workplace? Never close the door. See, there's a difference between not rescuing and shutting the door. Always keep the door open. And I can say this categorically, and there are some in this room today that have left this church and been away for however long they deem necessary to be able to come back. And every person who's ever done that would say this, they never had to jump through a hoop. They never had to prove themselves. They were just welcomed immediately. And that's the way it should be. Lessons learned. Apologies been made. Whatever's needed. That's what it should be. And that's what we see here. One theme, lostness. Whether you are far from God, an unbeliever, a non-Christian, that's a state of lostness. But you can be a Christian and get lost. You can be a Christian and lose your way. Yeah? Yeah? How many of you have lost your way as a Christian? Why do I go to church? I don't even know why I'm going to church. I don't even bother anymore. Why don't I read my Bible? I don't get anything out of it. I've lost my way. You know what? Some confrontation, some light, some revelation may be coming your way. Because we're lost. If we're willful and disobedient, we're going to lovely let you go. See, all three responses were the right ones. 
because the context was right. Context is key. Can you say that? Context is key. Can you say it like you believe it? Because it's true. Context is key. Because context brings wisdom and understanding. Can we have the band come up? I'm going to finish with this thought. I thought I'd have more time in this service than I did in chapel, but I've still run out of time. But I want to tell to highlight just three things. I'll just, I don't have time to elaborate. I'm just going to share them. Because these have helped me when it comes to gaining wisdom. There are more things, but just want to leave you with three things. Like a trinity of thoughts and then an unholy trinity. Because there's always a counterfeit to anything that's godly. You know that? The Bible says that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. These are three things that have helped me get the right context in order to make the right decision most of the time. Because as good as this is, and as helpful as this is, I trust, you still need wisdom to know, okay, when do I apply which one? And that's what I can't tell you. Sorry. But these three things have helped me Gain the right context. And the first one is simply the Word of God. It's a light unto our feet, the Word of God. The second one would be the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that inner voice. You know, have you ever been doing something, you know, it's not right, I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't be doing that, I shouldn't, but you do it anyway? That's the Spirit of God. Contrary to popular belief, He's not, he's not a God of comfort. He's God, Period. And if we're doing something that's going to hurt us, He's not going to make us feel good about that. In actual fact, if you feel bad because you've done a bad thing, that's a good thing. (laughs) And if you feel good because you've done a bad thing, that's a bad thing. You should feel bad. Oh, oh, I feel feel gutted. That's good. That's the Holy Spirit saying good. If you've done something bad, if you've punched your sister in the face, (laughs) that felt fantastic. That's bad. Write that down. That's bad. Make a meme about it. That's bad. I mean, the Holy Spirit will make you feel uncomfortable. And the third one is godly counsel. These three things have kept me. These three things have helped me find the context. Now, I have not always got it right, but I've got it more right than I've got it wrong because of these three things. If you put these three things in your life, you won't always get it right. You won't. But you will get it right more often than not. If you make sure you're reading the Word of God in its context, not just your favourite verse. If you listen to God, maybe fast, hear God, seek His face, let Him speak, get a peace. And then present it to someone who is wiser, more mature than where you're at. We're going away next week, or this week, to New Zealand to spend time with Paul De Jong. Not because I've got nothing better to do, but I want to be around bigness. I want to be around the right people. Here's the unholy trinity. They all start with F. The unholy trinity to this it's not the Word of God, but your favourite verse. Got my favourite verse? I am the head and not the tail. No, you're just an idiot. <laughs> favourite verse. 
That's not reading the Bible. I know the plan. God has plans to prosper me. To give me hope in the future. Yeah. And you're not going to get there with that attitude. That's why he's disciplining you right now. That, that, that's the first one. The counterfeit to the Spirit of God is feelings. So your favourite verse and the way you, it makes you feel, it's going to mislead you. And the counterfeit to godly counsel is your friends. Your friends. So if you're struggling with your kids and you've got a friend who's also struggling with their kids, this is what that conversation is going to sound like. Kids of today. And this iPhone generation, they don't appreciate it. When I was a lad, that's what that conversation is going to look like. And you're both of you going to hold yourself in your lostness. But if you would fellowship up, and that's what I call it, fellowshipping up. If you would get godly counsel, they'd say, hey, look, it's got to be horrible. I get it. Kids can be cruel. But can I ask you some questions? When's the last time you spent time with your kids? When's the last time you spent time with your kids doing what they wanted to do, not what you wanted to do? That's what I'm talking about. Friends don't say that. Because often the friends we keep are in the same boat as us. If you want answers, you've got to go up. If you want answers, you've got to go up. See, when you're lost, and I'm going to finish with this. I will finish, I promise. There is an end to this message. You're lost now. Like, where is the message? Is there an end? Ben, I make me finish after this point. Okay, just come and wrestle me to the ground. And <laughs> but I'm, I'm talking to you now because I forgot what I was going to say, so I'm just kind of preambling. When you're lost, what was I saying? Were any of you listening? When you're lost, and you see this on the movies, maybe you've even done it. You seek higher ground to find out where you are. If you're in a jungle, you go to the top of the tree. Where are we? Yeah? yeah. You, you go higher for perspective. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. If you want greater perspective, and, and that's what you need when you're lost. When you've lost your way, you need perspective. And the trouble is, by virtue of someone being your friend, means they're usually on the same level as you. So they've got the same perspective as you have. Yeah. And so your concern becomes, actually, you know what? Now that you mention it, I feel the same way. Because you're all at the same level. That's why you've got to go somewhere to higher ground. Someone who's been there before. So I, I can meet with other pastors. Danny Gugelmucci is one of those. I can say, hey, Danny, this has happened. This, is that normal? Am I doing something wrong? I... And we get perspective. And here's the thing I know. When it comes to the top of the mountain and the bottom of the mountain, there's always more people at the bottom of the mountain because it takes less effort. It takes skill, determination to get to the top. You don't want to go to people who are as confused as you are. And you certainly want to go, you don't want to go down to people who are lazier than you are. You want to go to the ones who have forged their way ahead of you in marriage, raising kids, finances, starting a business, buying a car, Making a godly decision. People who say, I'm just, I'm just going, I'm moving up to Queensland, going overseas. So 
Um, have you got, is there a decent church over there? I don't know. Just feel God. Really? And we've got that one verse, Abraham. So we're going to equate ourselves with Abraham. That's a, that's a massive promotion you've just given yourself. <laughs> Who made you Abraham? That's, that's what we do wrong, isn't it? We, we make ourselves Jesus. We, don't, we, we never make ourselves Judas. Yeah. <laughs> no one ever says, I think I'm Judas in this story. Wait, so I'm always Jesus. I'm always Superman. I've always got the cape on. And it starts at a young age. When we played cowboys and Indians, no one wanted to be the Indians. Everyone wanted to be the cowboys. With a white hat, not a black hat. We always want to be the good guy. But sometimes we're not that good guy. Sometimes we've got a black hat on, thinking we've got a white hat. We just need something, you know what, you've got a black hat. And the right people will do it in love. And it won't be to look down on you. It'll actually be to lend you a hand to pull you up. That's leadership. That's friendship. That's discipleship. And if you're in a great place today and it will make sense to you, great. But in every season, the seasons come and seasons go, there is fogginess that comes. And we get lost. And we just need the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and godly counsel. Whether that's reaching the lost, whether that's parenting our kids, whether that's living in community as believers, whether that's doing life in the workplace, this is going to help you. Has it been helpful? Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 